You ever feel like that? I don't really have what it takes to get all this done that feel God's called you to do, but here I am anyway. That's awesome. A uh, couple of things uh, real quick. We have a picnic that will be uh, somewhere in uh, September around the middle or a little bit later. You have a, uh, a little picture of here we can take a peek at? Yeah? Adventure Race Faith Living Church Picnic. That's me in the middle up there with the sword. <laughs> but what we're going to do is have an awesome picnic, and we're going to have all kinds of adventures, you know, like an adventure race. And life groups can do them together, or you can pull a group together, seven, eight people, however many you want to. We're going to do all kinds of things, and there will be some awards, and there won't always be for the fastest or the quickest or the most accurate some of the rewards may come out as the funniest group that's out there doing these uh, awesome, wonderful things. We'll let you know more details about that later on. Uh, want to let you know, I appreciate everybody who's been praying for our son Benjamin. He's back out in the field as of a few days ago, which means he's walking because he couldn't walk at first. So he's back out in the field, and out in the field we can't hear from him. So I haven't heard anything else. So that's a good sign. You know, that's a good sign. And uh, all the men under him are there, so he's, he's having, you know, the time of his life since he's back out there with them. It was really tough for him to be in the barracks all by himself. Uh, you, you saw Lisa share a testimony of uh, working over there with uh, the Narragate Ministry over in Meriden. That's right from, from here, you know. And uh, they've been making a difference there for years. But the, the neat thing was, she felt called to do something and do something more. So she got all these backpacks together. Unknowns to me, it just kind of all of a sudden happened. I found out about it. At the same time, you know, we're talking about backpacks here because schools are starting really soon wherever you're at. And uh, in Ethiopia, we got about 300 and how many? 340 kids that will be starting off to school and uh, we're putting together over there backpacks and school supplies and registrations for school. And if you saw a green envelope on your chair and you wanted to give anything toward those backpacks over in Ethiopia, as our, our kids over there that we're sponsoring, as they're starting off school, you can put it in the green envelope. That just means us going to Ethiopia to help put together some backpacks and supplies and registration for the kids over there in Ethiopia. Okay, let me see. Is that all I need to answer? Okay. We're talking about called. This is, I reckon, called uh, part three. And we have all been called. And I want to just start off with the verse we read last week. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few, that means a small amount, few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. There was a few, but not many. Instead, God deliberately chose things and people that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And you know, oftentimes, the folks in this world, in the secular world, they look at you as a believer. You're believing in something you can't see, you know. You know, a believer in Almighty God they look at that as foolish. There are people who look at things that way. But the Bible says here in verse 27, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. When God wants something done, he had his nation of Israel march around the walls of Jericho. How foolish did that look? How many days did that take? Seven days. Can you imagine how foolish you might have been feeling? The guys up there on the wall are laughing, throwing rocks at you, chuckling. Hey, God, what are you doing down there? You know? But what happened on the seventh day when they shouted? The walls fell down flat. And ain't nobody laughing no more. 
So there's lots of things that believers do because it's very clearly portrayed in God's word to us. It seems, you know, pretty foolish. But let me tell you, when you obey God, it's not foolish. God chooses. This is the supernatural. He chooses the foolish. So everybody will look and recognize it's God who did it. It's the God of those people. It wasn't them. Their God knocked our walls down, you know. That's just the truth of it, you know. And you remember we talked about last week. We're not going to go into it much this week, but we talked about last week how God, he used a little shepherd boy named David, and, and he used what was in his hand. Remember? Slingshot. And uh, we talked a lot of, about a lot of different things that people find in their hand. And hopefully through the week you've been thinking about what it is that you can do, what's in your hand, what can God use through you? How many of you are really awesomely strong? How many of you are really weak? You know, God can use that? Uh-huh. Let me just read you a verse. It's found in Hebrews 11, 33. You know what? I didn't actually put it in my scripture. I just put the reference here. Is it up there? I sent it to them. I forgot to put it in my notes. So I'm going to turn around and read it, okay? It says, by faith, these people, by faith, these people overthrow kingdoms. They overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. And they received what God had promised. And they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flame of fires and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their, their, what's that word? Their weakness, their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Their weakness, through faith, their weakness was turned to strength. God always chose the weakest. He always chose the weakest. And he did awesome, fantastic, amazing things. So then that way everybody knew that was God who did that. Do we ever have any weakness in our own lives? Therefore, we qualify for God to work in us and God to work through us. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God chose things and people despised by the world Things counted as nothing at all. God chose the nobodies. He genuinely did. He chose the nobodies. Who's, what was the uh, career of most of the disciples? Fishermen. Just ordinary kind of guys. Not college degrees. Probably no kind of degrees at all. But they were hard workers. And God chose them. Ordinary kind of guys, he called them to go and share the good news, the gospel with the rest of the world. Let, let me uh, read Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now when the men of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, when they saw the confidence and the boldness of Peter and John, these common ordinary men, and they grasped the fact that they, that they were uneducated and untrained ordinary men they were astounded and they began to recognize that those ordinary men had been with Jesus and let me tell you the Jesus factor makes a difference when Jesus lives in your life it makes a difference when Jesus lives in your life he changes your home where you work your family does it mean you'll not have problems no but it means you'll overcome them. The Jesus factor, anywhere where you see the Jesus factor welcomed, things begin to happen. The supernatural begins to happen. The, the rich and the famous, the highly educated, they said, uneducated? Peter and John? Untrained? Ordinary? It says, but they've been with Jesus. You want to see things begin to change in our lives? Spend time with Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Whether you're weak, don't matter. Don't matter what your background is like. Don't matter what your 
career is, don't matter what your education has been, spend time with Jesus. That's what changes things. Out of weakness, they were made strong and they overthrew whole armies, the Bible tells us. So, and read verse 28 again. It says, God chose things. That's in 1 Corinthians 1, 28. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And if you know how to use food, you can use food to get the gospel out. If you know how to use music, you can use music to get the gospel out. That's what they've been doing over there in Meriden. If you know how to use an old book and share the stories from that old book, you get the, the gospel out. You, you know how to provide a, a backpack with some school supplies in it? You can get the gospel out. There's multiple ways to get the gospel out. It's not standing behind a pulpit, that's for sure. That's just a teeny tiny part of it. But the most of the gospel gets out when we're out there in our world all week long, rubbing elbows with other people. He goes on to say here, and he says, uh, 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Verse 29 says, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Nobody can go, oh, look what I did. And I've heard people say, I pulled myself up from my own bootstraps. I, I, I made this happen. I don't think so. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. It says, but those who wish to boast, now we just read there in verse 29, so that no one could ever boast in God's presence. And it says here, but those who wish to boast should boast in this, what's the next word? Alone. Here's the area where you can brag if you want to. Those who wish to brag and boast should boast in this alone that they truly know me. I know God. Not just about him. I actually know him. Talked to him this morning. I was talking to him back there before I come out. That's what it says to do. Those who wish to boast should boast in this alone that they truly know me. It's God saying this. And they, they understand that I'm in heaven with a great big stick to beat you over the head when you step out. Is that what it says? No, he says and that those who wish to boast should boast in this alone that they truly know me and they understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates what? Unfailing love. People's love will fail. That's why there are so many broken relationships, because human love fails. But he says, I want you to understand. You can know me, and you can understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. Aren't you glad that his love is unfailing? You're praying for loved ones who don't know Christ, who are not living for him? God's love is, un is unfailing. He's going to continually love them and draw them unto himself. He says, who... I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. He delights in unfailing love. He delights in justice and righteousness. And he says, and I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. You want to boast? You want to brag? Brag about God. Brag about what he's done for you. Has God ever answered a prayer for you? Well, I know he's been answering my prayers and, and your prayers too as I've been praying for my son who had a really bad hurt foot, and God's restored that. Now, that's just one. How many other people have we prayed for this week? Dozens and dozens and dozens. Has God helped you out? Have you been through any difficulty recently? Has he helped you? Absolutely. So you want to brag? You want to boast? Boast about God and who he is and what he's done. His love is unfailing. He just wants to forgive us and give us another chance. He wants to make us righteous. Have a right relationship with him. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. 
like a lot of people do. You know, they're counting all the sins that you've ever done and they're adding them all up and they tell you about it from time to time. If you forgive somebody, you should never, ever, 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 ever bring it back up. Because God never brings up your sins. Is that true? When God forgives you, he never, ever, 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 ever brings it up. Who brings up the sins of your past? The devil. And sometimes he uses people. Do you want the devil using you? Well, then don't be a gossip bringing up the past to someone else when God's forgiven it. And we need to be ready to forgive. And it says here, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are to go rescue people. We are to go out there, wherever we find ourselves, and rescue them. Tell them that God loves them and he cares about them and he's forgiven them. And it says in verse <clears throat> 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. We talked about this a wee bit last week. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are his uh, mediator. We are Christ's negotiator. That, that's who we are. We represent Christ. Some people, the only thing they'll ever know about Jesus is what they see in your life. That's all they'll ever know about Jesus is what they see in your life. And he goes on here in, in verse 20, it says, so we are Christ's ambassador. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and God is making his appeal to the world through who? Let's say that in unison. Us. God's making his appeal through us. Wow. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Through us. You're like a glove. What kind of glove is this? A work glove. Would you allow God to work through you? Would you? And God fills you he tries to fill you up. But there's no room in you. There's dead batteries and rocks. You might have thought you had some power, but that power is dead. So I dumped that junk out of here. Now what can happen? Ah. And see if you and I, if we allow God to fill us up, and sometimes we got to empty ourselves out because we might be full of ourselves or full of something else. But if, if we'll empty ourselves out and allow God to work through us, through us, imagine. Have you ever used a pair of work gloves and did a lot of work? Yeah. Thank God for the gloves, right? But imagine all that God can do. Did the glove really do the work? Who did it? When you were at your home working, you did it. And when we accomplish a lot for God, who really does it? God does it. Do we allow him to work through us? You go, well, that's not that big of a to do, but what about these kind of gloves? Now, I know everybody uses these nowadays, but who do we see originally use these kind of gloves? Doctors. Let me ask you, just a little pair of gloves like this, could this make a difference? Could it save a life? So you don't contaminate, get germs in something that they're working on somebody? Maybe their heart or anything, right? And gloves. And, 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 and will we allow God to fill us? And these are actually work gloves for some people. And, and it fits really nice and tight and you've got dexterity and you can feel what you're doing there. It says here in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5.20, 
So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. God's making his appeal through, through you and, and through me, you know. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now, do we ever see things the way Christ sees them? Think about it. I remember there was a woman that we knew about many, many years ago, and she worked in a factory where they had sewing machines and did all this work. And they had a, a, a little a medic there, a little doctor who was on staff because they had thousands of people work there. And there was a woman who came in one day, and she had sewn the sewing machine through her finger. Yeah, it was a mess. And so she came and saw the doctor, who actually happened to be a Christian, and he bandaged her up and gave her a good scolding. So now you, you have to pay attention to what you're doing. You can't be careless like this, or if you are careless like this, you could be dismissed if, if you know, you got to think about what you're doing. Probably a month or a little bit later, same woman came to see him again. This time, the sewing machine needle was broke off in the bone and sticking out of her finger. And he worked on it. He retrieved the needle. He bandaged her up. He took care of put a couple of little stitches in where he had to go in and get through the bone and all that. And he said, you know, I'm going to have to talk to management now because of your carelessness. And then she said, Doctor, I know that you're a strong Christian. Everybody has told me about it, and I've seen your lifestyle. And I'm not careless. She says, I have sewn my finger two times on purpose in hopes that when I came in here for first aid that you would tell me about Jesus. And I wonder, how many people has God brought across our path and we might scold them when the truth is the reason they were there was to hear about the Savior, to find out about forgiveness and how to deal with fear and how to deal with their past and how to look toward the future, how to have hope. And we can be somewhat judgmental and critical, could we not? When maybe that's just the divine appointment that God had those people in our path so we could tell them a little bit about Jesus. It's so important that we see things the way God does. I'd like you to look at this little video clip with me, and then we'll talk about it.
we open our eyes and our hearts, we can change that story. Become sensitive to the people and their needs all around about us and allow God to work through us. And we'll be like a glove on his hand. And God can do the work and bring about the transformation through you. Maybe we got some junk in us that needs to be removed so his hand will go in, so there's room for him. Maybe so. Let's think about that. You know, in 1730s, in the 1730s, it was uh, one of the uh, early Protestant churches that planted missionaries. And it was kind of an interesting scenario it's a distant place, a place that was very primitive. I think it was over in uh, St. Thomas. And the very first missionary that was documented was a fellow by the name of Leonard Dober. And he learned about the slaves over here in St. Thomas that they had uh, been overworked and abused. You know, they were prevented from having any time to themselves to hear about Christ and his forgiveness. They, the slave owners would not tolerate it. The missionary went there one time and said, no, they have to work. The only way they were allowed to share the gospel was if they gave themselves as a slave and worked alongside the slaves, I mean, for real, a real slave then they were allowed to talk to them about Christ as they worked alongside them. The church, the early church, wasn't quite sure this is what they should do. This was a tremendous sacrifice. But as they prayed about it and considered it, they gave this man and a friend of his who wanted to go to St. Thomas and give themselves as slaves for life for the privilege of talking to hundreds of slaves about Jesus Christ. They had met them and they had seen them and recognized that they were lost and in darkness and in fear and sin, and they felt God had called them to go and share the gospel. What a high price they paid. But that was the inspiration of many more people from their church who became missionaries and others in centuries to come, to become missionaries and go to the mission field and share the gospel, whatever the price was. You know, and our mission field could be right here, possibly. You remember what the apostle said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24? He says, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. And there are missionaries who give up their life. They empty themselves out completely and they become a servant, even a slave, for the privilege of telling other people about Christ. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life. And he who is wise captures human lives for God as a fisher of men. He gathers and receives them for eternity. A wise man and a wise woman will invest their life and capture men and women with whatever tools he has in his hand, whatever tools she has in her hand to tell them about Christ. You invite a bunch of people over to your house to have apple pie and vanilla ice cream. You can tell I enjoyed talking about that last week because I'm talking about it again. I hadn't had none. You invite people to come over. Hey, I make apple pies. Got some vanilla ice cream. Y'all come on over. While you cut them a piece of pie and while that ice cream's melting on the top of it, you give them a cup of coffee to maybe go along with that or some tea or whatever, and you just tell them your story. You tell them about what Jesus did for you. That's using your gift. What, what is it that God wants to do through you? Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you're a medic. And sometimes we're a little, duh. And we find out you sowed yourself on purpose 
in hopes that I would tell you about the Jesus I know. Sometimes we get a little distracted, don't we? We really do. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Slaves, this is the Bible. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Did it say rise up and rebel against them? Now, this was not advocating slavery, okay? But it's telling you, if you're in that position, how to act. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve who? Christ. You remember Joseph? That's the way he served Potiphar. That's the way he served the jailer. And the lo and behold, God brought him out in the second command to the Pharaoh himself. But he did, as a slave, what God had said to do. He says, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. This, some of us are called to slavery. The guys who went to the mission field, they were called to slavery in order how many hundreds of people did they lead to Christ. And the first fruits that came. And then the slaves begin to tell their own friends and family about Christ. And generations of slaves knew about Jesus because a couple of guys gave themselves as a slave to reach them. It says here, slaves obey your earthly masters in deep, with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would Christ. Work hard, but not just to please your master, when they're watching as slaves of Christ, that's what we all should be, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with, what's that word say? Enthusiasm, with fervor, with passion. Do your work, your physical work. That's what's in your hand, that shovel, that sewing machine, that baking pan, that wrench, whatever it might be, that notebook. He says, work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Even if you're a slave, he's talking about here. And remember, the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Think about that for a moment. He's telling us that we've been called. And there are some difficulties in, in our calling, but the difficulties... It's like Jesus left his riches and glory to come here to reach us. And we've been called to endure some uncomfortableness at times to reach other people. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, <clears throat> And then he told them, Jesus told them, And then he told them, What's that next word? Let's say it out loud. Go. Let's say it one more time. Go. And then he told them, go into where? All the world and preach the good news to who? To everyone, even to slaves. Preach the good news to everyone. Let's just watch another little clip real quick.
know, maybe the reason we have so many people from so many nationalities who live in our neighborhoods, maybe as a church we hadn't done so good about going. So God brought them here. People from all over the world, has he not? And what a way we should respond to the men and the women and the boys and girls, regardless of where they're from, regardless of their nationality, God's brought them here. And maybe we only have to go next door or down the street a bit, but we should still go and let them learn about Jesus. Maybe we, we go to Ethiopia. Maybe we help people there. But we probably need to go to our own community, to our own neighborhood, to our own families. He says here, Mark 16, 15, and then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to who? Everyone. And then he says, and these miraculous signs will accompany those who have college degrees. Oh, doctor degrees. I'm sorry. Is that what it said? And when you go and you tell people about Christ, he says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who do what? They just believe. They believe they're supposed to go. They believe in doing what the book says. And they'll cast out demons. If somebody's got a demon, they'll cast them out. In the name of Jesus, in my name. And they'll speak in new languages. And that is a valid, viable gift today. God's word says so. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. Does that mean you're playing with them? No. You remember Paul picked up a bunch of wood, uh, threw it in the fire? What happened? It bit him. He was shipwrecked. He was trying to warm everybody. He shook it off. And everybody's sitting around going like, he must have been a criminal. He, 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 he escaped the shipwreck, but now he's been bitten by a highly venomous snake. You just watch. He'll kill over in a couple minutes. And when he didn't kill over, they came and said, tell us, what power do you have that you were able to shake that venomous snake off into the fire and it had no harm, full effect on you? He said, I've come to tell you about Jesus. And he led those people to Christ. And he says, go and tell the world. And he says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They can cast out demons. They can speak in new languages. They can handle snakes with safety. If, if they drink anything poison, somebody like tries to poison you, it won't hurt you. And they'll be able to place their hands on the sick. And, and what's going to happen to the sick people? And they'll be healed. Do you believe that? Yes. If your answer was yes, well, then it'll happen when you do it. And God's just trying to put his hand on the inside of you and use you like a glove. He said these miraculous signs will follow those who preach the good news. They are a believer. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, and the disciples did it. Verse 20, and the disciples went everywhere and they preached the good news. And the Lord worked, how? Through them. Like a, he put his hand in us like a glove. And the Lord worked through them, through us, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. They said, well, Jesus told us to do this. We don't really understand it really well. But he said, when we're sharing the gospel with you people, he said, if somebody's sick, just to put our hands on them and pray for them. So we're just going to do that. And lo and behold, you're going about your business. You may never know until you get to heaven one day. You go, you know what? A couple minutes later on, I was healed. Never had another problem with it. Really? Oftentimes, the miracles happen after you've prayed and you've gone on about your business that you weren't trying to get the credit for it. Because then who got the credit for it? Almighty God. You shared the gospel. You prayed for him. You went on. And often as, as we're out of the picture, Christ gets the honor and gets the glory for it. That's just, that's just the way it happens. 
So he says, and the disciples went everywhere and they preached and the Lord worked through them confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. I don't know if you remember years ago a ship, a vessel, it sank and it was called the Central America. She was in a bad state She'd sprung a leak, the ship, lots of people on it, and she was going down. She, she, she uh, you know, sent out a signal of distress, and a ship came alongside her. And the captain asked through his little trumpet that they had, they didn't have radios back then, what's wrong? We're in a bad repair and we're going down. We sprung a leak. Wait till morning. The guy who's on the ship that's sinking because he thinks they got a lot of time, they want to upset all the passengers and all. He says, wait till morning, and we'll take all the passengers aboard your ship. The captain on board the rescue ship said, let me take your passengers on board now. Wait until morning was the message that came back. Once again, the captain cried, you had better let me take the passengers on board now. Wait until morning was the reply that sounded through the trumpet. About an hour and a half later, the lights were gone, and though no sound was heard, the Central America and all the men, women, boys, and girls on board had gone down to the fathomless abyss. They perished in the sinking ship. The men, the women who don't know Jesus today, we don't know what might happen, do we? Have we seen tragedies in our world? Sure we have. Have you ever had any personal ones? Sure. We've seen them in our community. You never know when that might happen. So all those who don't know Christ, you know, for God's sake, don't say wait until tomorrow. Don't say, wait until next week. And for God's sake, let us not say, well, I'll tell them about Jesus next week, next month. No. He's called us now to speak up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, For God says at just the right time, this is God said it, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is when? Is now. Today is the day of salvation. If you love someone and you know they're not right with God, today is the day to send them a text, an email, a phone call, go over for a visit, invite them out for breakfast tomorrow morning. Invite them to join you with a church or this awesome picnic we're going to have. It's now. How many people's funeral have we been to that we did not expect them to die when they did? So if we're going to share with them the good news that God loves you. He forgives you. He's got a place prepared for you. We'll spend eternity together there. They need to hear it now. We can learn. Study the book. We can learn about the good news, how to share it, how to have wisdom when we share it with other people. One more verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, but how can they, this is people who don't know Christ, how can they call on him to save them? How can the people who don't know Christ call upon Christ to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? So how, how people, your friends and your neighbors and your family and your loved ones, how are they going to hear about Jesus if somebody don't tell them? That's our responsibility. As uncomfortable as it could possibly be, and we be filled with love and be filled with passion and fervor as we share the good news that God loves you. He ain't mad at you. And he'll forgive you. And he, he's a God of another chance. As we tell people, people... And I, and I venture to say, how many of the men, the women, boys and girls who are here, who are downstairs, 
now in our Overflow Cafe up in the balcony. How many of you guys who are watching online would have come to know Christ much earlier if somebody had told you? I would have, but nobody ever told me. I just thought going to church got me into heaven. I, honestly, I felt that way until I was a teenager, around 16 years old, when someone finally told me and explained it to me, and I immediately accepted Christ. And I would have much earlier if I had known. And so let's just take advantage of that. I want to share one more little video clip with you. This is a fellow who's part of our church. His name is Justin Patterson. His mom and dad come here. He's had some battles and some struggles. I'll let him tell the story. So my name is Justin Patterson. Um, I'm 26 years old. I was working at a, at a bar in Farmington at a country club, and a co-worker had offered painkillers to me. And just like the saying goes, curiosity kills the cat, I tried it and immediately thought this was my, this is my answer to everything. This is my, you know, this is my saving grace. And through that, I ended up falling, falling short on a lot of things when it came to, to bills, relationships, um, responsibilities. And it slowly just diminished my life. It slowly just collapsed. And I ended up losing the business I lost my truck, I had a $40,000 truck, I had a four bedroom house in Bristol, and I lost all of it. Through losing the business and, and still being in a, a, a painkiller addiction, an opiate addiction, um, money got tighter, and it eventually led to heroin, and using it intravenously with a needle. And I went down that road for close to three years just on heroin, and it brought me to dark places. I, you know, I was forging checks. I was stealing from, you know, my family's houses, my friends, breaking into safes, you know, breaking into my family's cars, and just taking anything I could to financially support my habit. And eventually, in between all of that, I had tried rehabs, I had tried 30-day programs, I tried detoxes, and nothing was working. I always fell short again. I backslid right away, and right after all those rehabs, I ended up relapsing, and coming up to recently, two years ago, um, I had suffered an overdose in my parents' house. Before I had the overdose, I was in a rehab in Florida, and it wasn't a faith-based program, but they gave you the option to go to church every Sunday. I grew up in a non-religious home, uh, my parents grew up Catholic, but we never went to church. The only church I got was funerals and weddings, and that was it. And going to church through that rehab in Florida, um, it opened up a whole new door. When I got out of that rehab, I came back to Connecticut, and I asked my mom, I was like, you know, I was really, really into that. I was really interested in feeling what I felt there again. And she ended up going down, you know, a couple churches, and we came across Faith Living Church. And we came here together, her and I, a couple times. And slowly but surely, I backslid again. I relapsed and went down my dark path again. And the blessing it is now is she continued to go. And soon after that, my father started to come. And coming back to the, the overdose, my parents were still attending this church. Finally, I sat down and I went over a, a pamphlet that the emergency room had gave me after my overdose. And I went down the line of all the short-term programs and I had been to all of them. And I was like, this isn't gonna work. I've been to all these. I know exactly what I can get away with at all of them. I know exactly what all of them are about. And so I switched over to the long term. And the very first one on the long term was Teen Challenge. I committed to it and I started out in the Connecticut Center in New Haven. And still being full of pride, still being, you know, trying to, to feed the flesh that, 
you know, I desired to fill, um, I stayed for a week and I left. And the faculty there found me at the train station. They picked me up. They talked to me for a while, just showed me love, compassion, and I opened up to that. And so I stayed a couple extra days after that. I was on the second floor of the building and all the first floor doors were locked, all the windows were locked, and I was, I was dead set on leaving. And I found a, a window that I could prop open with a lamp. And right before I made the next decision, I finally, for the first time in my life, cried out to God. And I said, if you want to stop me from, from using again, if you want to stop me from, from using heroin and getting high, make it happen. And I jumped out the second floor window right onto a driveway of asphalt. And God heard me because he immediately fractured my heel. And that was the first barrier. I just said, God, you've got me. Whatever you want to do, do it. And I stripped my pride. I became humble. And for that, I'm forever grateful because it all started here in Faith Living Church. It all started with the joy, the love, the compassion that everybody showed and the open arms that, that Jimmy have shown, that John have shown to not only me, but my family. And it's changed my life. And ultimately, all the glory goes to God today because I'm not telling God how big my problems are. I'm telling my problems how great my God is. And today, actually in a couple of days, I'm moving into North Point and pursuing pastoral ministry. And if you want a testimony of God's power and his grace, he took me, a hopeless heroin addict that was in the deepest pits, and now he's trying to put me on the pulpit. You want a testimony of God's power? He took a heroin addict and is using me, the foolish, and calling me to, to spread his word and, and spread his saving grace and his knowledge. How valuable is it that men and women, boys and girls hear about Jesus? How important is it that they hear about God's love and hope and experience his power to forgive and to change? Because we can't change on our own, but if we allow him to come into us, all oh, what he can do. There's a young man who says, pursuing pastoral ministry. That's pretty miraculous, don't you think? And you know what? God is absolutely amazing. And he has called you and me to use what's in our hand to make a difference for a young man like that or maybe a young lady like that. And to become sensitive enough to know the people that you meet in any given day is not an accident. It's a divine appointment at the grocery store, at the gas pump, going to the mailbox, somebody you bump into on the sidewalk. Not an accident, but a divine appointment that God has called you to. Just let the light that's within you shine out brightly. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for forgiving us and saving us for giving us another chance. And we thank you that you've entrusted us with that same ministry that you have called us to go and help other people, to rescue them by sharing the good news, by rescuing them, by laying our hands on them and praying for them, by changing their story, by us getting involved. Help us, almighty God. Help us to become sensitive to the people that you bring across our path, show us a little story to tell, a scripture to share, a little object lesson, so we can communicate the good news in a palatable way. Now, as our heads are bowed, I would ask you to reaffirm your faith with me in Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you've never opened the door of your heart 
and ask Jesus in, would you join us as we pray and invite him in tonight? Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me, that you got great plans for my life. Thank you for rescuing me. I believe that Jesus died in my place, paid for all of my sins, and he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus is knocking at the door of my heart and open wide the door. And I pour out all the junk and I welcome Jesus inside. Fill me up as if and I was a glove. Fill me up with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed with me just a moment ago and you asked Jesus to come into your life, if you, you would stop at the uh, connections desk. We got a little gift bag, a Bible, and some things to give you, and hopefully it would inspire you. If you need some prayer, there'll be people around the altar who'd love to pray with you. If you're a guest at the connections desk, tell them I'm a guest. We got a gift for you. Nice little gift. Just one of our ways of saying thank you for coming. We hope you come back. And then greet one another on your way out. Now, ushers, do y'all have something? Oh, I forgot my connections card. Yes, but do we have a bucket of something to give out? We do or we don't? I don't know. You don't know? Anyhow, we're supposed to have rubber gloves to pass out to everybody on your way out. So if, if you find them, pass them out. If you don't find them, get your own rubber glove, okay? You probably have some of these at home and put your hand in that thing and it fits a lot better if there ain't no other junk in there, you know? And then just always keep yourself empty so God can put his hand and work in and through you. Okay, can I borrow that? Thank you. It just simply says... This week, I will boast that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and understand that his love and forgiveness is unfailing and is for us all. If you agree with that, check it off, drop it in the tithe box. God bless you. Yeah, don't forget the green envelope. If you'd like to make a contribution toward the backpack of the 340 kids, then we're going to make backpacks and fill them with school supplies and then pay their school registration. If you'd like to be a part of that, whatever you'd like to contribute in that green envelope, drop it in the tithe box, and we would appreciate it. God bless you. You are dismissed. Hey, brother. My hands are a little clammy now.